Welcome to How to Sell Drugs, a podcast about drug culture, policy, and business with an emphasis on harm reduction. Um, today we have a special episode. Uh, it's just the Lucy co-founders. I'm joined by David Rintel. Hi, David. Hi, John. And Sammy Hamdouche. How are you? Doing all right. Uh, and today we want to talk about psilocybin, the active ingredient in, in uh, what are colloquially known as magic mushrooms, uh, recently decriminalized in Denver specifically. And uh, we want to talk about kind of the science that's behind uh, this particular drug and what that means for um, society in America as well as uh, kind of business going forward. Um, so I think we want to talk to, let's start with you, David. Uh, can you give us an overview of kind of um, what happened this week and um, kind of why is it important? Sure, yeah. So the decriminalization in Denver basically allows people to possess small amounts um, and it doesn't make it quote unquote legal, but it basically tells the Denver Police Department that it's the lowest priority on the totem pole of crimes. Uh, so in effect, nobody enforces the law that would um, basically get anybody into trouble. So Sure. So decriminalization, um, I could still maybe get fined for that, but I'm not unlikely to go to prison for this now. Yeah, you know, I... I don't even know if I'd put it that way. I think you're unlikely to be charged with anything in the first place, assuming yeah. that you're um, holding on to amounts that are you know, uh, indicative of personal use. And something similar happened with uh, cannabis a number of years ago, correct? Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, cannabis um, went through a, a number of different legal frameworks in different states, um, medical and now recreational, right, in, in California and Colorado. So... Um, a lot of people think, and, and it sounds like this is where you're going with this, that a lot of people think that magic mushrooms might follow a similar evolution to cannabis, that we might see an ecosystem of uh, entrepreneurs uh, and p potential patients and maybe recreational users all kind of gathering around this new substance in a way that looks uh, similar to the evolution of, of the cannabis market. Yeah, I mean, that certainly would be interesting. Um, so... Can you clarify the difference between w what you meant there when you said um, recreationally, cannabis is recreationally legal now and medically legal in many states versus uh, what kind of the DEA and federal schedule system means? Yeah, so I mean the, the, federal, uh, the federal scheduling system for drugs has kind of this descending hierarchy where you know, Schedule One is something that has no intended kind of, uh, no accepted medical purpose. Um, and that's where cannabis still is. Um, and also a high potential for abuse, I believe, is, is part of that definition for Schedule One. Sure. And then Schedule Two can be high potential for abuse, but a known um, medical application. So that's where you get your, your kind of your medical grade morphine might be Schedule Two, even though obviously it's much milder than, than cannabis. Mm -hmm. um, cannabis was listed as schedule one because it wasn't prescribed by doctors for anything really which is kind of interesting yeah well i mean that's that's a whole rich history there about yeah. you know scare tactics and why cannabis was outlawed or uh, or scheduled the way it was but um yeah i mean on the mushroom side of things in denver it's very interesting because like there's this decriminalization there's uh accepted medical uses and then there's um recreational use and so decriminalization basically doesn't make much distinction between medical and recreational use it kind of implies it's all recreational even sure, though sure. we see now that there are treatments uh, that are being kind of fast-tracked through the FDA that uh, could involve psilocybin for treatment resistant depression mm. 
and uh, it's a, I think you know that's a it, it's something similar to what we've mentioned in the past. There's a lot of kind of uncertainty around how do you regulate a psychoactive drug like this? What is the distinction truly between a situational recreational user and someone who is medically requires it? I mean, um, you know, right now it's the people that seem to have like really um, you know, treatment-resistant depression. So people that, you know, really, you know, have tried a, a lot of treatments who haven't been able to get relief in other ways. And so the government, you know, is saying, well, you know, for these people, maybe we should allow it to happen. But, um, you know, Sammy had his car broken into today, and he's, uh, you know, he's not as happy as he usually is. Maybe <laughs> at one point in the future, he'll be uh, able to... Psilocybin. Maybe. Perhaps. Well, uh, I mean, that's a good transition, I think. Um, before we go any deeper into like the business side and the kind of legal implications, I'd love to talk about kind of how this drug actually works and how it's different than other drugs that people kind of interact with on a daily basis. So, uh, Sammy, could you maybe explain to me just the general mechanism that's at work? And then I'm sure I'll need to ask you a ton of clarifying questions. Um, so, uh, yeah. So, um, you know, no one really knows how psilocybin works um, in the sense that you know we don't we can't really describe the subjective effects mm -hmm. that it gives you at a truly you know sort of biological level um, because to do that you'd have to know how the mind actually works sure sure but we do know biochemically that it seems to um, bind to and activate uh, serotonin receptors which um, gives it a lot in common with other drugs of the same class, um, drugs like LSD, um, you know, 2CB, other sort of classical sure. psychedelics. That okay, uh, so so at the highest level, um, maybe maybe we don't understand like the lowest level function, but at the highest level, this is a drug that's typically consumed orally and absorbed through the stomach lining, and then the chemical makes its way into the bloodstream and then into the brain? Is that kind of the, the general gist? So uh, my understanding is that psilocybin is actually a prodrug mm -hmm. and it gets metabolized into the active drug uh, psilocin, oh. okay. which actually gets into the brain and then activates those receptors. Got it. Okay. So are there any specific kind of dividing lines where psilocybin perhaps looks or acts differently than other drugs like cannabis, LSD? Is it just that it's hitting different receptors or is it activating them in a different way? Um, like what, what do we know at this point? Yeah, I mean, I think that's sort of approaching the boundaries of, of what we can say because, you know, we can certainly say that the we can measure the pharmacokinetics sure. and say that, you know, it, it seems to have a shorter half-life than, say, you know, LSD. Okay. But, um, you know, perhaps a longer half-life than something like DMT. Yeah. And so, you know, the effects will typically last for about three to six hours. Okay. But to say qualitatively, you know, what the how the effects are different from other drugs is completely subjective. Sure. You know, you, you, know, you hear people say, oh, you know, it gives me kind of a warmer feeling. You know, that that's something that's kind of difficult to measure. And yeah. I think is beyond the scope of what um, can be, you know, kind of uh, uh, determined empirically. Is there kind of a 
is there any sort of consensus around how the the effect is described? I mean, I, I, I know certainly in movies, you know, it's described as kind of like the walls are are breathing, or or you see some kind of you know bright colors. Uh, is has this uh, been kind of like you know documented in any sort of scientific context? Yeah, I mean, so there's a spectrum of of or I guess a a swath of different effects that. Um, you know, you, you kind of can measure on some level. Um, definitely things like closed-eye visuals. Okay. Um, the idea that you are you're seeing colors and uh, and shapes and patterns and movement. Um, that, that maybe aren't there, essentially. I mean, or it's or hard to say whether it's consent. there or not, but it's, it's something <laughs> that you're perceiving that's an altered state from, okay. you know, what you would normally experience. Okay. Um, you will you know, tend to have, you know, varying levels of, um, you know, there's some interesting studies that, um, that were done, I think at Harvard where they, uh, gave people psilocybin and, um, and told them to, um, to sort of sit in a church and the experience was, um, you know, kind of, um, surveyed among the participants and, you know, there was s se seemingly a, a statistical um, effect on, you know, people's perception of, of the, the, the spiritual experience, like their perception of meaning, um, you know, that they felt like it was a very impactful experience being in the church while uh, on psilocybin, whereas that may have not may not have been the case when they weren't on psilocybin. And I think, you know, depending on the dose that you take, you know, if you take a large amount of uh, of the drug at once, you might, um, you know, s sort of sense a kind of um, what's known as oceanic boundlessness, a feeling of, you know, connection to, you know, the space around you and nature and the universe, um, you know, again, a s very subjective effect, but one that can be measured somewhat um, based on surveys. Um, dissolution of ego, so you don't, you don't feel like, you know, you exist separately from those around you. Um, you know, those are effects that are, you know, y you could start to measure at extremely high doses. Um, but, uh, yeah, sort of the, the closed eye visuals, the, ex the experience of, of, you know, meaning. Um, and, and then, you know, sort of the after effects, you know, uh, some studies have measured sort of like a, you know, a, a kind of a persistent change in personality. Um, you know, for example, you know, being more mindful in their day-to-day -day life, um, things like that, which again, very subjective, but, um, you know, y you can, you can measure these things on some level using scales for depression, which, you know, seems to be why there's a lot of focus on this drug for, for depression. If you can, you know, change, if you can change sort of the, the, uh, the spectrum of behavior on, you know, depression questionnaires, then it seems like it could be a, a viable treatment. Um, so yeah, these are the types of things that I think there, there, there's a lot of interest in. Okay. So yeah, I mean, it seems like some of this evidence is certainly kind of anecdotal and passed down from one person to another. It seems like this drug, you know, up until, you know, even today is mostly distributed almost in a peer-to-peer -peer manner through kind of almost like a like a cultural lore um more than you know a, a company 
branding a product or, or, a, or a pharmaceutical company um, making a specific medical claim, but we're, certain, we're certainly starting to see that. Well, it's actually, it's one of those things where it's like, what's old is new again, because, yeah. you know, the drug first started out being far manufactured by a pharmaceutical company. Mm -hmm. uh, I think it was uh, Sandoz or something, the, the same company that actually uh, invented, um, L you know, LSD. Interesting. And they were distributing it to medical professionals because it was being used in, you know, sort of um, uh, drug-assisted psychotherapy. Okay. Um, in the same way a lot of these drugs were and back in the day. Yeah, when you say, like, this company was making this drug, does that mean they were synthesizing the active chem chemical? Or were they literally just growing this particular mushroom and grinding it up and, and delivering it, you know, as, a, as kind of a, a whole food? Yeah, well, I mean, that's an interesting thing because I, uh, I you know, I, I often hear about people that say that, you know, there's a difference between drugs that are, um, that come from nature versus those that are synthesized sure. in the lab. And psilocybin is an interesting example because you can do either or. It's okay. not that difficult to synthesize psilocybin, I and it's also present in high quantities in, in you know, the different mushrooms. Okay. And from, from what I can tell by reading the literature, there's no marked difference between either of those compounds with the same chemical. Got it. Um, they're the same you know, chemical compound. Sure. And so, um, I you know I don't know which is the more efficient route to make the the drug, um, but uh, I I don't see that there's any real difference if you were to give someone a pill yeah. of you know pure psilocybin versus you know pure purified psilocybin sure, from mushroom. Sure. Okay, did you have a question, David? Yeah, no, I was going to say I, I totally agree with Sammy on that point. I guess it would just be that um, the dosing is obviously uh, important and so when you're looking at probably you know a bag of mushrooms at least so far there doesn't seem to be a huge range in the amount of psilocybin that they could have whereas if someone were to hand you a pill you might end up getting a concentration that would be uh, much larger than than what you would expect yeah i guess just familiarity with dosing um, kind of norms is, is obviously incredibly important for for any psychoactive yeah, I mean, just like the dabs of cannabis compared to the plant, you know, could be... Well, it's interesting you bring up, you know, cannabis dosage because I'm wondering, w one of the things that I've noticed as cannabis has become more legal in the U.S. is that we've seen kind of a... Uh, We've we've heard I've heard two narratives. One is that you know weed has gotten stronger, and that uh, because there's an economic incentive, companies are growing stronger and more potent strains of cannabis um, to essentially improve their profit margins. But at the same time, we've seen products like Kiva introduce lower dosage um, kind of uh, delivery vehicles, whether that's um, you know single milligram edibles um, that are very controlled. Do you think that we would wind up seeing the same thing? I mean, I've, I've certainly heard about people microdosing psilocybin. So do you think that if this becomes kind of the same, ro like as robust as the cannabis market has become, we would see kind of a bifurcation in, in brands that try to be the strongest dose versus the most controlled dose versus maybe a microdose? What do you think about that? Yeah, I mean, I... I would say that it, it just intuitively, it seems to me like when it comes to the cannabis market that uh, it is it is scientifically, you know, observed that the strains of cannabis are, are stronger, mo more potent in, in THC. And 
it just seems like if since it wasn't regulated, you just kind of wanted to breed a THC uh, strain, a, tra- a, a strain that had high THC, because then people would say, "Oh, this stuff works." Yeah. Um, and then when it became so easy for everybody to get this high strain, then everybody said, "Well." Now I, I believe when I go buy cannabis that it's going to work. Now I actually would like more precise dosing. Yeah, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So um, as we talk about kind of high dosing, Sammy, are there any risks? I mean, it, we've certainly heard with cannabis that there aren't really any known deaths on record. Um, certainly, I think most people have encountered, um, you know, what is essentially a cannabis overdose, and it passes in a, in a very reasonable amount of time and usually doesn't require any hospitalization. Um, what does that look like for a psilocybin? Um, well, I would say it's probably very similar. Um, I think if you take uh, too much, um, and too much obviously varies from person to person, that you would, you know, you would be uncomfortable and uh, that um, you know, there's probably no, you know, immediate uh, physiological harm that would come from that other than, you know, what you might do to yourself or you know, the kind of situation that you might be in um, that might, you know, leave you at risk. I think, you know, there there was a lot of, um, obviously, hype, um, you know, back when, you know, before these types of psychedelics were, were scheduled about people, you know, thinking they can, you know, fly and jumping off of buildings. And, you know, uh, a friend of mine would uh, sometimes say that, you know, if you really think you can fly, try to take off from the ground. Yeah, I think that's really wise wisdom. Yeah, I think that uh, that was from a comic uh, yeah. whose name escapes me. But well, so what? Uh, what factors go into kind of a you know a tolerance to really any drug, but in this case psilocybin? I imagine um, body weight as a proxy for blood volume. Is there any sort of metaboli- like metabolism rates that are important? Um, have people reported building up tolerances to this? Um, I don't know. I mean, I would imagine that you can build up some kind of like, you know, psychological tolerance that, you know, you could, you know, feel relatively, um, at ease or be able to kind of pacify yourself if you felt like, you know, the drug was taking you somewhere, uh, sort of out of your um, comfort zone. Mm -hmm. Um, well, short term there's a tolerance, right? Yeah, so I think, you know, there's kind of the idea that, you know, if you do um, if you do a, a similar dose, um, you know, within a time frame, I don't know if it's a day or a couple of days that um, that the the sensation won't be as as potent. Yeah. That makes um, sense. But uh, yeah, I'm not sure I um, I know too much about that, um, but it. You know, it is something where it's one of those uh, those drugs where there's contrary to to the DEA scheduling, um, the abuse potential doesn't seem to be quite that high. I think that um, uh, on the spectrum of addiction, it doesn't seem to be that addictive. So it's not something that people will compulsively seek out, um, you know, uh, you know, over and over again. like they would for something like uh, cocaine or something or, like or that. Or painkiller. Right, sure. Um, so you mentioned uh, synthesizing psilocybin. Are you aware of any uh, efforts to synthesize analogs? And do you think that we will ever see kind of a CBD to, to uh, psilocybin's THC? 
Um, yeah, I mean, I would I would think that the the best place to look might be you know in in the mushroom itself to see if there are any other related chemicals. Um, you know, the the class of compounds, the um, the tryptamine compounds to which I, I believe psilocybin belongs um, has been explored, you know, in great depth. Um, I think, you know, one of the people that uh, um, added to that body of literature was um, uh, Shulgin. And so, you know, there are quite a few tryptamine analogs that um, uh, that have, you know, psychedelic activity. Um, and, uh, you know, it's kind of, it seems on the one hand a bit arbitrary that people are, you know, focusing on psilocybin. Um, but on the other hand, it kind of makes sense because there isn't as much stigma attached to that as there may be for some of the others, which have kind of cultural baggage. Um, and the idea that it comes from a naturally occurring, um, you know, organism, um, you know, that may make people, again, feel like it's somehow safer or more acceptable. Interesting. Um, yeah. But um, I think that, uh, you know, it's 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 a good start it's you know you got to start somewhere yeah yeah that makes sense uh well david any uh any closing words on where we think the psilocybin could market could go over the next uh 10 to 20 years <laughs> yeah i mean that's a really long time frame i think that probably we'll see more drugs continue to be decriminalized as we see that the data around harm reduction and decriminalizing these drugs tends to result in higher quality of the substances, better regulation, better support for people who end up having trouble with different substances. So I think that it's probably no surprise that the uh, march continues with another uh, chemical that uh, has traditionally not been uh, terribly problematic. Uh, that isn't to say that uh, there aren't you know risks associated with with psilocybin or any other drug there are, but um, as far as sort of relative uh, relative harm, it seems like psilocybin is uh, relatively low compared to many others. Interesting. Any closing words, Sammy? Um, yeah, you know, um, use responsibly, Denver uh, citizens. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, really. Um, well, thanks so much for joining us, and uh, stay tuned for the next one.